independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. somebody this is the B this is labor and love hope you're having a good Saturday morning Serve 
Bob Dylan there to open up Labor and Love with You Gotta Serve Somebody. Just by way of introduction, this is Labor and Love, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio from 2781 21st Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. This is the show by, for, and about working people, where we remind you that if one person got a dollar they didn't work for, Another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. This week... We're talking uh, depressing signs that America's country used to be. We got Aaron Schwartz. We got this day in labor history. And we got Rosemary June. This is the type of music we play on this show. of moon songs of star and of june songs they simply make me nap and ditties romantic drive me nearly frantic i think they're all full of pap history's making nations are quaking why sing of stars above 
For while we are waiting, Father Time's creating new things to be singing of. Sing me a song with social significance. All other tunes are taboo. I want a ditty with heat in it. Appealing with feeling and meat in it. Sing me a song with social significance, or you can sing till you're blue. Let meaning shine from every line, or I won't love you. Sing me of wars and sing me of breadlines. Tell me of front page news. Sing me of strikes and last minute headlines. Dress your observation in syncopation. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. It must get hot with what is what, or I won't love you. I want a song that's satirical, putting the mirror into miracle. Tell me of mills and mines. Sing me of courts that aren't impartial. What's to be done with them? Tell me in rhythm. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. It must be tense with common sense, or I Rosemary June there, and um, that's uh, part of our lab labor history uh, segment today because this is the anniversary of a production by um, the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, a musical that was written and created by the workers themselves. And uh, a little more on that later. But uh, as we know, we exist only within the hand of nature. And we're in a drought. In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye The earth that fed me in California Was turning cracked and dry New Zealand ferns are always green It rains more there than it should I looked to the cloud that was raining on me And said, go where you can do some good Clouds stop crying and wasting time And fly across the sky Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die 
Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line. He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well, but the weather wasn't so fine. Nobody had a garden, nothing lived but weeds. The earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night. Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. People and the animals like to gather where water flows. A beer, some tea, or a water hole, it's there where something grows. And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance. The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants. Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Brother Charlie Morgan there with uh, his California drought song. A uh, grim reminder that uh, we are in the middle of a drought. So today in labor history, let's look at today in labor present and listen to the Win Week Review, Workers Independent News. This is the news for all of us. Thank <laughs> you. 
Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. The vote was close, but UAW workers at Ford approved the tentative four-year labor contract. The UAW says 51.4% of production workers approved it. The skilled trades vote was 52.4%. Yes, the GM contract has also been ratified. UAW President Dennis Williams says our UAW members have ratified the national agreement after a long process and much debate. The voice of the majority has secured a strong future, he says, that will provide job security and economic stability for themselves and their families. For WIN, I'm Joanne Powers. Geneva-based food giant Nestle has revealed that workers at its seafood suppliers in Thailand face abuse and exploitation, including slavery. The report, commissioned by the company itself, found forced labor, human trafficking, and child labor to be systemic in the Thai fishing industry and indicates that almost all U.S. and European companies purchasing seafood from Thailand are likely to have the same abuses in their supply chains. Nestle is already the object of a class-action lawsuit accusing its fancy feast brand and cat food of being the product of slave labor. The company took the unusual step of making the findings of its internal investigation public, and Nestle says it is committed to eliminating forced labor in its supply chains. The company has promised new requirements for all potential suppliers and plans to train boat owners and captains about human rights, as well as bringing in outside human rights monitors. Warehouse workers at California Cartage faced retaliation from their employer after a pair of three-day strikes in September and October, calling for a $15 an hour minimum wage, a safe work environment, and an end to wage theft. Following the strikes, temporary workers have been denied work. The Cal Cartage direct hires have been putting pressure on management and taking up a collection for the banned workers. After almost three weeks, these workers have been able to return to work. Celine Perez, co-director of the Warehouse Worker Resource Center, says solidarity has been critical. They don't see themselves as two distinct groups they're in the same fight because they do face the same working conditions. The direct employees also know how it feels to be a temp worker because they all started as temp workers. The only way they can win all their demands and have good and safe jobs is by standing together. For a decade, labor activists have used the biggest shopping day of the year as an opportunity to call out the world's largest employer, Walmart, for their poverty wages and mistreatment of workers. This holiday season, the United Food and Commercial Workers Making Change at Walmart campaign is launching five weeks of action, targeting at least 20 states in the first week and a half. The actions begin today with a Black Friday Feed Hungry Workers initiative called Give Back Friday, with the goal of feeding 100,000 Walmart workers and families. Dave Young is the campaign's director. Our goal is to bring to light the estimated hundreds of thousands of Walmart workers who struggle to make ends meet and feed their families all across this country. You will be seeing many, many actions in the coming weeks. We plan to run one of the most aggressive, coordinated series of actions that we have seen over the last 10 years. Workers' independent news provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. Okay, that's an important struggle because... Uh, Walmart is the biggest retailer in the world, and uh, four of the ten uh, richest people in the world are members of the Walton family. So, uh, or is it three in ten? Maybe it's only three in ten. <laughs> so that's where the action is now. The action is now. With well, if we resist, I fear it will be so, but in that case, we shall enter it with uncompromised principles. One second. Let's see, what do we got here? Oh, I see what's happening. Okay, pardon me. Um, so, all over the world, um, people are 
standing up, which actually is always happening, as we're going to see a little later. We've got uh, a little feature about the oldest recorded uh, strike. Only it was recorded on papyrus. <laughs> so we'll see about that. Here we go. This is the World Labor Report. Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, November 27, 2015. I marked the launch. Five. In the report this week, unions around the world organized demonstrations to greener, more sustainable economies. The international labor movement wants to end violence against women. And the Labor Start Report events around the world. This is Radio Thank Labor. International labor organizations are urging their members to participate in demonstrations ahead of a crucial international summit on climate change. The International Trade Pardon Union me, Confederation, uh, the ITUC, Orson Welles is broke coordinating. In there. We're going to start over. The World this Labor is Report. Take two. News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, November 27th, 2015. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, unions around the world organize demonstrations for greener, more sustainable economies. The international labor movement wants laws to end violence against women. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. International labor organizations are urging their members to participate in demonstrations ahead of a crucial international summit on climate change. The International Trade Union Confederation, the ITUC, is coordinating the demonstrations to be held in France and other countries November 28th to 29th. Thousands are expected to participate in the rallies. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers at the world level. The climate summit is scheduled to be held in Paris November 30th to December 11th, though other summits have often run over time. More than 40,000 people, including 140 national leaders, are expected to attend. The summit is being organized by the United Nations. The UN wants to get a global deal on how climate change can be tackled. The goal is to stop global warming in this century from exceeding 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Sharon Burrow is the General Secretary of the ITUC. I asked her what her organization wants to see happen at the Climate Summit in Paris. We have a simple view, Mark. There are no jobs on a dead planet. If we're going to save a planet that's habitable for ourselves, let alone our children and grandchildren, then we need a strong climate agreement. We need a commitment by everybody, government, employers, and, of course, unions, to work towards the industrial transformation that is vital to actually dealing with climate change. The ITUC has argued that a just transition to greener, more sustainable economies is necessary. What is a just transition and how would it be implemented? We've said we will leave no one behind. All of the actors in the uh, impact uh, framework actually are in our uh, unions. 
We indeed have the climate uh, activists, those who've, you know, taken on the fight. We then have, of course, new workers, those workers who are increasingly engaged in clean energy uh, production and indeed distribution. And we are organising those. And then we have the fossil fuel workers, and we demand respect for the workers uh, in coal, in oil and gas who've brought us the prosperity of today. We characterise it in this way. Workers have a right to know. They have a right to know what their government plans to do to decarbonise, to uh, secure jobs, to plan for the future. They have a right to know what their employers plan to do to decarbonise, to uh, actually make sure that there are jobs for the future and to guarantee workers uh, those entitlements of, of secure work and indeed uh, secure pensions. And we have a right to know what our investors are doing. How is our pension money being funded to guarantee that it won't be in stranded assets and it will be used to secure jobs that are sustainable for the future? That means we demand dialogue with governments, with employers, with the investment community. A just transition requires us to both be engaged in dialogue and to make sure that no one is left behind. You can hear an extended version of my interview with Ms. Burrow on the Radio Labor website. In a continuing campaign to eliminate violence against women at home and in the workplace, unions marked the start of a 16-day series of demonstrations, workshops, media events, and other activities this week. Radio Labor senior correspondent Seamarie Ainsborough has a report. November 25th is the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. It's the start of 16 days of activism by labor unions, NGOs, and other organizations to raise awareness about violence against women. At least one in three women in the world have been physically beaten, sexually assaulted, or otherwise abused. For women aged 15 to 44, gender-based violence is a major cause of disability and death. The International Trade Union Confederation points out that violence against women and girls is the most widespread violation of human rights. It occurs everywhere at home, in schools, on the streets, and at work. The ITUC is the organization which represents national labor centers at the world level. It's lobbying for legislative action which would help eliminate violence against women. It wants the International Labor Organization to adopt a recommended law about gender-based violence. The ILO is the specialized agency of the United Nations focused on matters of work in the world. An ILO convention, as the new law would be called, would provide women with legislation to combat work-related violence. To be put into effect, it would have to be adopted by national legislatures. The 16 Days of Activism Against Violence is to culminate on December 10th, Human Rights Day. All the global unions are participating in the activism with their own campaigns. For example, UNI, the Global Union for Skills and Services, has produced a video aimed at men. More than a third of all women worldwide will experience physical or sexual violence in their lifetime, usually from a male partner. In half of the sexual assaults, the victims are under 16 years old. Globally, as many as 38% of murders of women are committed by an intimate partner. Women are two times more likely than men to experience violence in urban areas and are two to four times more likely than men to contract HIV. Forced sex 
and the refusal of men to use condoms increase this risk. The mass rape of women and girls is used by soldiers as a weapon of war. Women represent 55% of forced labor and 98% of sexual exploitation. They are our mothers, our sisters, our friends and our partners. Are you man enough to stop this violence? Now here with his report about union events around the world is Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,300 stories that our volunteers have collected in the last week. Our top stories section included links to news about efforts by Palestinian journalists to strengthen their professional ethics and standards, and remembrances of an assassinated Colombian union leader. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Egyptian newspaper workers started a wage dispute last week. Air transport workers shut down airports across Libya over wages owed them for months. Healthcare workers were off the job in Kenya demanding improved hospital funding and a wage increase. 1,000 of them were sacked as a result and replaced by religious volunteers and military personnel. After a break to allow mediation with their employer, workers at the South African Parliament resumed their walkout over performance bonuses and wages. Five tea plantation workers in India died of malnutrition and a lack of medical care as their union organized a hunger strike to demand the reopening of their workplace and financial assistance for its members. In the USA, thousands of retail workers were greeting holiday shoppers with picket lines. Sugar workers in Guyana struck for three days to break the deadlock in bonus negotiations. Construction workers brought the expansion of the Panama Canal and every other project in the country to a halt as they escalated their pensions in anti-corruption strike. Doctors in Zimbabwe were protesting over five months of back pay owed to them. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the internal organizing efforts of women trade unionists in Antigua and Barbuda, the push for family violence leave in Australia, and a program which has Harvard University students learning basic leadership skills from Indian women trade unionists. Our health and safety newswire carried stories to union websites around the world about the mass faintings in Cambodian garment factories after insecticide was sprayed in them, and the pervasive health problems faced by migrant domestic workers across the Middle East. Currently, Labor Start is running four online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. our uh, radio labor news and uh, as you can tell all over the world people are standing up and demanding their rights and demanding control over their workplaces some measure of control anyway Okay, well, I referred um, earlier 
to the um, musical called Pins and Needles on uh, November 27, 1937. Pins and Needles opens in Broadway with a cast of International Ladies Garment Workers Union members. The show, a lighthearted look at young workers in a changing society in the middle of America's most politically engaged city, ran on Friday and Saturday nights only because of the cast's regular jobs. It ran for 1,108 performances before closing. And today we got some music from that uh, musical, one of our lead songs, uh, Songs of Social Significance by Rosemary June was one of the songs featured in this show. Uh, So we'll play a little set of songs from the musical I studied hard and thirsted after knowledge And often burned the midnight oil so I could get to college They told me my fine education Would help improve my situation So then I crammed and crammed till I was almost in a coma And thesis and examined until I got me a diploma Aha, they said, now comes admission Into a very high position out I went and looked around And Macy's is the place I found I filled my blanks and application And went for my examination They took my weight and took my height And tapped my chest and tested my sight Examined my head, took prints of my toes Looked at my teeth and up my nose Examined my throat and measured my hips And even took prints of my fingertips They made me say ah and told me to grunt Examined my back Examine my front. Then they tested my IQ and asked what I'd like to do. And when that exam was through, what there was to know, Macy's knew. So I got the job. Life is a bitter cup of tea. Now I'm just sales girl 73. I used to be on the daisy chain. Now I'm a chain store daisy. Once they gave me the honor seat. Now I stand up with pains in my feet. I used to be on the daisy chain. Now shoppers drive me crazy. I sell smart but thrifty corsets at 350. Better grade, 469. I sell bras and girdles for moths and myrtles to hold in their plump behind this counter. Once I wrote poems, put folks in tears. Now I write checks for ladies' brassiers. I used to be on the daisy chain. Now I'm a chain store daisy. 
Okay, we had uh, our um, song interrupt at the chain store Daisy. Let's get it back here. second song in that set it's better with a union man of course it is oh listen to the story we sing you of everything that came to pass to birth of a sewing Machine girl, all winsome and class conscious lass, as sweet as the flowers in springtime. She worked at the men's pants machine, her sweetheart close by at another, while union love blossomed serene. One day, little Bertha was sewing, not knowing that danger was near. A villain espied her and paused there beside her, a non-union man with a leer. Oh, it's better with the union man. It's better with the union man. You'll live to regret if you ever forget this motto proletarian. So always be upon your guard Be a man to see a union card You'll never go wrong if you follow this plan It's better with a union man Poor sweet innocent little Bertha She did not suspect that this guy Contrary to all union bylaws had six other wives on the sly While Bertha was sowing her wild oats Midst black caviar and champagne Her true union lover was waiting At local 16 all in vain Alas, she forgot all the precepts Which for working girls are correct That non-union cab, he was thoroughly bad he did just what you all would expect Oh, it's better with the union man It's better with the union man You'll live to regret if you ever forget This motto proletarian So always be upon your guard Demand to see a union card You'll never go wrong if you follow this plan It's better with a union Yet our best trained, best educated, best 
prepared, troops refused to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Okay, so we had music there from, uh, not that last part. We had music there from um, Pins and Needles. And we do have one more. This is... uh, called Sitting on Your Status Quo. Yes, teacher. Are you ready to learn what history has to say? Yes, teacher. Yes, teacher. Then take your books and follow me to 1776 A.D. And as the history pages turn, we will see what we can learn. Yes, teacher. Yes, teacher. Yes, teacher. In 1776, Tom Paine was writing books with might and main. A Tory said, now man alive, stop giving out with this hillibity jive. Stop giving out with this hillibity jive. Don't sing out people's rights that way. They might believe in what you say. So stop your song, it's not polite. Pipe down before you start a fight. You go back, you can't giddy up by saying, Whoa, I'm sitting 
Depending on your status quo Yes, teacher Yes, teacher Yes, teacher So students, now your hep Don't stop Keep stepping to that freedom hop Although the Tories beef and blow To keep you sitting on your status quo To keep us sitting on our status quo When they say let's stand still a bit Give up some rights, no Work in 76. Now ain't that right? The same old tricks. Though Tories talk, don't be misled and say what all those others said. No, 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 no. no. When you got to go, you got to go. You can't stand still on freedom's track. If you don't go forward, you go back. You can't giddy up by saying whoa and sitting on your status quo. Sitting on your status quo. And if you recognize that vote, well, I'm sure you've recognized it. That, yes, was indeed Barbara Streisand, who was involved in um, a recording of the show, uh, I suppose early in her career. Sitting sitting on your status quo. Before that, uh, we had It's Better with a Union Man. And yes, it is. Better with a union woman. And also Chain Store Daisy. Uh, And as I said, Barbara Streisand sang on that last one, Sitting on Your Status Quo. I was interested in um, the... Uh, went to see the movie uh, Suffragettes. And uh, Suffragettes, of course, refers to the political campaign of women uh, all over the world. But in this movie, it's in England. And the tactics that they use, the the voices within the movement and... Uh, very touching um, depiction of a woman worker with a with a husband who's old school. I mean, we're talking about 1905 or something. Maybe later than that. But a husband who basically just wanted his wife to be there at home and have kids. And uh, this girl didn't do that. So it's a very nice blending of the personal and the political. Uh, The simple truth is that uh, women will not be free until they have reproductive freedom. There's no... uh, it's not a mistake. It's it's not a coincidence that the time for a woman is called her labor. She's going into labor. Well, no, she's she's been doing labor for nine months. Uh, she's been carrying around extra weight 
like tying a bag on your back and you have to walk around with it for months. Uh, she's undergoing the physical pain, agony, um, that, that heart, that love. And uh, she needs to be free to engage that when she wants by choice. This is uh, Peggy Seeger, the nine month blues. If you can't be careful, try to be good. Well, we cared and we cared as much as we could. We always agreed, me and my man, we said someday we'll try the family plan. The first thing we tried was nothing at all. Of course, amateur ride and everything's here. Pardon me. This is um, Peggy Seeger. Peggy Seeger um, singing the Nine Month Blues. Let's get it back here. If you can't be careful, try to be good Well, we cared and we cared as much as we could We always agreed, me and my man We said someday we'll try the family plan The first thing we tried was nothing at all It was an amateur ride and everything's here for We charted my tides, followed my moon But then someday, came a little too soon I got the nine months of blues But he was kind of happy when he heard my news I got the nine month blues There was him and me and the baby made three But we made up our minds to stay that way With little bitty things made of rubber and such And cause we were friends we decided to go Dutch When we said I do it was a solemn oath So we did and we did and it pleased us both We still can't figure out what went wrong But that's the first line of the nine month song I got the nine Get out the dress and the sensible shoes I got the nine-month blues I said, this time around I'm gonna cast my stone I'm gonna have a chance to call my life my own About the SPC, the FBA They said, keep that child, don't fling it away The doctor said he had the right to refuse The law says if you want to beat the noose You gotta be rich or near to your grave So away I went again, I'm a nine-month rave I got the nine And that time around, I got a McTwos, I got the nine month
that made me My head buzzed open and I nearly went crazy And my moon started rising every 14 days I says I may be sick but I'm safe and free We started making honey like a couple of bees But one May morning I must have forgot Dropped me right back to the nine months slot I got the nine months blues Too much to gain or too much to lose I want my old man be happy when he hears my news I got the nine months blues I got kids everywhere, two, three, four, five I just can't swim without taking the dive I went for advice, they says to me They said the next thing to try is the IUD But the small print allows that the loopity loop Has a margin of error, then you're in the soup But your kid'll be normal, so don't you fret Even though you least have all the nine-month let I got the nine-month blues Too much to gain or too much to lose I better get my old man to disconnect his fuse I got the nine-month I love my man, I love my kids, but if I have any more, I'm gonna blow my lid. It's not just the 40 weeks on my mind, it's also the washing hanging on my line. It could be the worry on the old man's face, or thinking of the future of the female race. It all began with a love and a laughter, then with so much care. For such a long time after every nine months Don't you think we ought to have the right to choose to sing the 20 year of blues? That was uh, Peggy Seeger, sister of Pete, singing the nine month blues, looking at. Uh, <clears throat> choice, uh, pro-choice from the point of view of a real working woman and what it means to her. Um, a center in, in uh, Colorado. This is like an insane issue for a lot of people who make it their issue to stand up for someone who's not born yet instead of the woman who's dealing with it, who's carrying the baby. Basically, what we're doing again is asking women to work for us for nine months to change their lives and adjust everything about their lives so they can carry this baby. It's work. And uh, we demand them to work. We force them to do that work. It's not their choice sometimes to do that work or not. So I, I call that enforced labor. Forced labor. Um, some guy in Colorado attacked the Planned Parenthood <coughs> Center. Um, he opened fire near Colorado Springs and he surrendered police after a gun battle that left three dead, including one police officer. The officer was a six-year veteran of the university's police force who was on campus about 10 miles away 
went to the scene in support of an officer under fire. Nine others were taken to local hospitals with injuries, including five law enforcement officers. The shooter has been identified as Robert Louis Deer, a law enforcement official told CNN. This is the CNN version of it. Uh, Alternet is the website. So, uh, Planned Parenthood CEO Cecile Richards said the Planned Parenthood family grieves for Officer Garrett Swayze's family, friends and colleagues dealing with heartbreaking loss tonight. So, this is uh, kind of a cause of the right. self-righteous people, mostly, who adopt this, and true believers. It's truly a question that divides people. It might be good if uh, women, all the women uh, in the country over childbearing age, of childbearing age, should have a plebiscite. I would think more than half would want Um, abortion rights, rights, choice. I would think there'd be a substantial number of women who might not want it for themselves, might not ever want to have an abortion, but who would support the right of of other women to have that choice. I think that would be a vast majority of American women. It'll never come to that because in a in a patriarchal quote unquote republic, those discussions don't take place among women or in situations where they're exclusively women talking. They take places in what we call um, well, egalitarian in other words men and women but it's not based on sex it's just based on well who they vote for uh, gee um, why aren't there more women you know I guess that <clears throat> so anyway getting off getting off on a tangent here uh, these discussions about abortion rights about right to a woman's body are carried on by men. We have men telling women about their bodies, what they can and cannot do with them. Well, as we always say, who does not have control of their body? A slave. Yeah, let's hear Motorhead. They say music 
A long-haired preacher's come out every night I try to tell you what's wrong and what's right But when asked about something to eat uh, They will answer in voices so sweet You will eat, you will eat by and by In that glorious land in the sky Way up high, work and pray Live on hay uh, You get by in the sky when you die That's the lie the starvation army they play And they shout and they clap and they pray uh, When they got all your coins on the drum uh, They will tell you in your Okay, um... My technology is kind of failing me here. We keep skipping songs. That uh, particular song there, a song by Joe Hill, was supposed to come after this by Killer Mike. Bernie Sanders. Uh, rapper fan. Rapper fan called Reagan. Our government has a firm policy not to capitulate to terrorist demands, that no concessions policy remains in force. In spite of the wildly speculative and false stories about arms for hostages and alleged ransom payments, we did not, repeat, did not trade weapons or anything else for hostages. The ballot of the bullet, some freedom or some bullshit. Will we ever do it bigger? Just keep settling for little shit. We brag on having bread, but none of us are bakers. We all talk having greens, but none of us on acres. If none of us on acres and none of us grow wheat, then who will feed our people when our people need to eat? So it seems our people starve from lack of understanding. Cause all we seem to give them is some balling and some dancing. And some talking about our car and imaginary mansions. We should be indicted for bullshit we inciting. Children deaf and pretending it's exciting. We are advertisements for agony and pain. We exploit the youth, we tell them to join the gang. We tell them dope stories, introduce them to the gang. Just like all of the North introduced us to cocaine. In the 80s when them bricks came on military plane. A few months ago I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. The end of the Reagan era, I'm like Lemma 12 old enough to understand the shit that changed forever. They declared a war on drugs, like a war on terror, but what it really did was let the police terrorize whoever. But mostly black boys, but they would call us niggas, and lay us on our belly while they fingers on their triggers. They boots was on our head, they dogs was on our crotches, and they would beat us up if we had diamonds on our watches, and they would take our drugs and monies as they pick our pockets. I guess that that's the privilege of policing for some profits. But thanks to Reaganomics, prison turned to profits. Cause free labor's the cornerstone of U.S. economics. Cause slavery was abolished unless you are in prison. You think I am bullshitting, then read the 13th Amendment. Involuntary servitude and slavery, it prohibits. That's why they giving drug offenders time in double digits. Ronald Reagan was an actor, not at all a factor. Just an employee of the country's real 
just like the Bushes, Clinton and Obama, just another talking head telling lies on teleprompters. If you don't believe the spirit, then argue with this logic. Why did Reagan and Obama both go after Gaddafi? We invade the sovereign soil, going after oil. Taking country to the hobby, paid for by the oil lobby. Same as in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm a dinner jar, say they coming for Iran. They only love the rich and how they love the poor. If I say any more, they might be at my door. Who the fuck is that? Staring in my window, doing that surveillance on Mr. Michael Rinder. I'm dropping off the grid before they pump the lid. I leave you with four words. I'm glad Reagan did. That was uh, Reagan by Killer Mike, who came out uh, for Bernie Sanders and who uh, accompanying Sanders on some of his uh, some of his campaign stops. This is Immortal Technique. Bitches know that I'm a freak, like the elephant man. Intelligent plans, fuck a record deal. I want development land with my benevolent clan. And that's the reason that I only trust my fam. 40,000 records sold, 400 grand. Fuck a middleman, I won't pay anyone else. I'll bootleg it and sell it to the streets myself. I'd rather be that than sign it stuck on a shelf. And because of this, executives try to diss me. Racism frozen in time like Walt Disney. And now they say they want to get me signed to the majors. If I switch up my politics and change my behavior. Trying to tell me what the rhyme about over the beat Bitch niggas that never spent a day in the street But I repeat that, nobody can hold my reins I put the truth on tracks, niggas, simple and plain I guess to America, I'm a disaster oh, no. A slave that was destined to own his masters Independent in every single sense of the word I say what I want, you fucking little sensitive herb This is America, I thought we had freedom of speech But now you wanna try to control the way that I speak And O'Reilly, you think you a patriot? Yeah, right. You ain't nothing but a motherfucking racist bitch Full of hatred, pressing a button, trying to eject me But I don't got no motherfucking deal with Pepsi No corporate sponsor telling me what to do Asking me to tone it down during an interview no. 
to minimize the issue, but I'm keeping it large. I love the place I live, but I hate the people in charge. Speaking is hard when you got strings attached, so I'ma say it for you, because I don't got none of that. And if you didn't understand what I spit at your brain, hey, yo, son, let this little nigga explain. Come on, son, y'all niggas know the way that I do. Immortaltechnique.com live for you. And I know sometimes it be making you nervous. The way I smash puppet rappers that belong in a circus. You motherfuckers just can't compare. Looking for a fan base that's no longer there. I know that you're scared and you're hiding up in the cut. But this is freedom of speech, nigga. Tell them what's up. Word, nigga. Fuck John Ashcroft. Nigga, fuck Fox News. Fuck those snake ass bitches trying to manipulate your opinion, telling you what to think. Word the fuck up, nigga. Like we invading niggas, cause we wanna free them. You racist motherfucker, you don't give a shit about those people. You can suck my dick. <laughs> relax, tech, relax. Another Robin Coke at the bar, nigga. It's my day off. Word up. Fuck. For the kids. Ah, for the kids. Ah. <laughs> Okay, that set was, uh, that last one was <clears throat> Immortal Technique with Freedom of Speech, a defiant kind of artist statement about no one can control or should try to control what I what I can write and what I can sing and what I can say. Before that was Reagan and uh, Killer Mike's take on Ronald Reagan. The, of course, the telling sentence there is, uh, oh, I said I didn't make deals with terrorists, but I guess we have. I didn't really know about it. So which do you want? You want Reagan to know about it and okay it? Or do you want Reagan to not know about it and not know what's happening? Such an important thing that's happening in his own administration. Can't have it both ways. Uh, it's always particularly galling when you hear people say Reagan, you know, the great creator. Uh, communicator, pardon me. Uh, oftentimes you... Their notes, you know, of where Reagan falls asleep. Reagan goes to sleep every night at, you know, at a certain time. Uh, he was kind of carrying uh, a flame for other people. And people would come to him. I guess it was up to him to choose what to do. I'm not sure what else he did besides make speeches and go to ceremonies. Evidently, he did have the chance to outlaw all nuclear weapons. Gorbachev offered that hint to him. But Ronnie backed off. Anyway, that was um, Killer Mike. And before that, we had Eat the Rich by... Uh, Motorhead, Eat the Rich, huh? We have the uh, 
famous essay by Jonathan Swift called The Modest Proposal, where he proposes as a, an upper-class person, beautiful satire, that uh, little street ruffians could be eaten. You should eat them. In beautiful language, well-written story. a little more labor history. I want to tell the story of a woman named Rose Posada. Rose Posada was born on November 20th, 1896. She began working in a shirtwaist factory in New York in 1913 and there became involved with ILGWU Local 25. She went on to organize tirelessly for the union around the country and in 1934 was elected vice president of the ILGWU, first woman to hold that position. She was an immigrant. A lot of, a lot of attention, negative attention today paid to immigrants. These immigrants are coming and they're going to swamp us and they're going to take all the work and they're going to uh, break the welfare system, such even such as it is, and they're going to uh, swamp our country. We have to remember that a lot of the great labor people were immigrant people. In this case, Rose Posada came from the Ukraine. Her, her family were grain merchants. And uh, she was educated since childhood. She read anarchists like Bakunin. And uh, when her parents arranged a marriage for her, she left. She left the Ukraine and went to New York City to become a seamstress. So uh, she became, uh, organized a, a successful strike in 1933 in Los Angeles, of all places. After working extensively with the Los Angeles Local 484 while they were being organized, Posada sought to manage the local. ILGW President David Dubinsky rejected her request in the in response, Posada die, uh, resigned from the staff and board. She claimed that uh, it was a decision tainted by sexism. She said, I've been so useful to these men for so long, but they didn't recognize the fact that I was competent. 1944, she was offered a seat on the executive board of the union, stating that she could not be the only woman on the board when 85% of the union's membership were women. She wrote two memoirs, Bread Upon the Waters and Days of Our Lives, Rose Posada. One of the immigrant people who who uh, contributed greatly to the labor movement. 
This week is also the anniversary of the first teacher's strike. November 25th, 1946, teacher's strike in St. Paul, Minnesota. The first organized walkout by teachers in the country. The month-long strike for better schools involving some 1,100 teachers and principals led to a number of reforms in the way schools were administered and operated. St. Paul, Minnesota. Today in labor history, four months before the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, a sweatshop in Newark, New Jersey catches fire, killing more than two dozen women and girls. The fire made national news and more than 100,000 people flocked to the scene the next day. A coroner's jury a month later deemed the fire the result of human error. They died from misadventure and accident. And aside from a, a fund begun by the mayor, who put in a hundred of his own dollars, uh, they were, the case was never brought to court. It was, in fact, the factory was owned by a woman. She was never brought to court. This is also the anniversary of the strike of the 20,000, two years before that factory fire. November 22nd, 1909, striking garment worker and international ILGWU organizer Clara Lemlich delivers an impassioned speech for a general strike to support her co-workers who had gone out on strike for better wages, working conditions, and hours. The next day, 20,000 shirtwaist workers took the, the streets of New York. An estimated 30,000 workers participated in the 11th week-long strike. One of the results of that strike was safety conditions for sweatshop factories. And... Uh, a lot of the owners complied and had those safety features uh, installed, and some didn't. And among those, of course, were the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Ultimately, the story, our key to understanding not only the awful working conditions in the Gilded Age, but how change occurs. As many scholars have pointed out, most workplace-safe legislation in the United States only passes after a horrible disaster galvanizes attention. Anyway, factory workers. That was uh, lawyers, guns, and money. And as I mentioned, November 23rd, the anniversary of the first recorded strike by Egyptians. 
working on public work projects for King Ramses III in the Valley of the Kings. We're talking about 1152 BC. So that's uh, 3,000 years ago. workers were protesting having gone 20 days without pay they were paid in portions of grain and put down their tools exact date estimated described as the sixth month of the 29th year by one blah 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 so Egyptian workers 3,000 years ago go on strike This day in labor history. I watched a uh, film uh, about Aaron Schwartz. Aaron Schwartz, the, the, I guess you'd call him a super hacker. <laughs> computer guy, kind of a computer whiz who uh, program started like the RSS feed, uh, website Reddit. The thing about Schwartz that made him different, he was eventually uh, brought to trial by the U.S. government. The thing about Schwartz was that he wasn't about stealing information. He was about opening up the channels of information in the case that kind of brought it to a fore that brought the government the government's case against him was from a site called JSTOR which is a clearinghouse for scholarly journals this is where research in science and and uh, social science where all these studies those PhDs that people write and papers that they write are stored and uh, JSTOR was charging money. So these people would write, do all this research, and then they would have to turn it over to JSTOR to get it published. So JSTOR would make all the money from, for example, from people who wanted copies of it. JSTOR charged for access to these works. Schwartz and others said, this is a total ripoff. Uh, this should be, there should be access for everyone. It should be free access to this information. This is uh, where people can read about the latest research or the classic research in their field and find out what other people have done. In one case, a cure for pancreatic cancer came out of one guy reading uh, research that had been done and thinking about it. I'm sure other things along the same line have happened. Anyway, uh, Schwartz was downloading files and putting them up on the internet for free, basically for free. Uh, 
a small charge, but it was accessible. Uh, this is what he was. This is what he was charged with. But also, he was profoundly political about his approach. Um, I'm going to play this. I could talk here. This is called Aaron Schwartz' "Tip of the Iceberg." Freedom warrior Aaron Schwartz last week, in the midst of his fairly bogus federal prosecution for computer fraud, raised a lot of issues for cable news channels to investigate, especially about prosecutorial misconduct, but most of that coverage was fairly superficial when it existed at all, with Fox News broadcasting no stories on Aaron Schwartz at all that I saw, while the CNN story I saw was pretty shallow in its reporting of the criminal justice issues, though CNN did at least explain the prosecution of Aaron Schwartz resulted from his fight for free information in this clip. The case stemming from Schwartz's passionate belief for a wide-open free Internet. It dates back to July 2011, when he was indicted on charges of stealing millions of academic articles and journals from a digital archive at MIT. The charges could have landed him in prison for up to 35 years, along with a million-dollar fine. I think that they tried to turn a molehill into a mountain. They, in the, in the kind of old-time language, they really tried to make a federal case out of it. Now, that clip was good as far as it went, but CNN never delved into the lack of real criminality behind the mountain the government made out of a molehill, and CNN even slipped into the trap of being too balanced by presenting both Aaron Schwartz's family side and the prosecutor's side without really giving viewers the information necessary to decide between them in this clip. Schwartz's family released this pointed statement. Aaron's death is not simply a personal tragedy. It is the product of a criminal justice system rife with intimidation and prosecutorial overreach. Decisions made by officials in the Massachusetts U.S. Attorney's Office and at MIT contributed to his death. MIT's president says the school is launching an investigation to examine its role in the prosecution. When the Boston-based U.S. attorney first announced the indictment, the press release said, quote, Stealing is stealing whether you use a computer command or crowbar, and whether you take documents, data, or dollars. Hmm, now, giving both the family side and the prosecutor side without going deeper doesn't allow CNN's viewers to really understand the injustice of this case, never mind addressing a criminal justice system rife with intimidation and prosecutorial overreach that Swartz's family talked about. Well, over at MSNBC, anchor Chris Hayes, a personal friend of Swartz, did a lot better job, at least a better job of explaining the lack of real criminality behind the prosecution, as you can see on last Sunday's Up With Chris Hayes in this clip. At the time of his death, Aaron was being prosecuted by the federal government and threatened with up to 35 years in prison and $1 million in fines for the crime of, and I am not exaggerating here, downloading too many free articles from the online database of scholarly work, JSTOR. Aaron had allegedly used a simple computer script to use MIT's network to massively download academic articles from the database that he himself had legitimate access to, almost five million in all, with the intent, prosecutors allege, of making them freely available, although he never did. You should know that despite JSTOR declining to press charges or pursue prosecution, federal prosecutors dropped a staggering 13-count felony indictment on Aaron for his alleged actions. That's a much better explanation of the bogus nature of the charges against Aaron Schwartz, which are based on a pretty shaky legal theory that violating a website's terms of service can be turned into a federal crime, and Chris Hayes delved even deeper into the injustice of the case against Aaron Schwartz, even suggesting possible solutions in this clip. In a statement about his death, Aaron's family 
family and partner wrote, Aaron's death is not simply a personal tragedy. It is the product of a criminal justice system rife with intimidation and prosecutorial overreach. Decisions made by officials in the Massachusetts U.S. Attorney's Office and at MIT contributed to his death. You should know his death is a good reason to revisit the 1986 Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, the law under which he was prosecuted, since it is far too broad. And it's also a good time to take a hard look at Massachusetts U.S. Attorney Carmen Ortiz, whose office prosecuted Aaron with such recklessly disproportionate vigor and who is reportedly considering a run for governor. So MSNBC's Chris Hayes definitely did a better job than the CNN story of explaining the injustice of the prosecution of Aaron Schwartz and even went so far as to offer the same two solutions for which Aaron Schwartz's group Demand Progress are asking people to sign a petition, namely passing Aaron's law to amend the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act and investigating those who prosecuted Aaron Schwartz. But to get even deeper to the real root of the problem, I had to go to the non-corporate alternative media where I found an interview with Aaron Schwartz's partner, Taryn Steinbrickner Kaufman, who provided the additional details about Aaron Schwartz's view of his prosecutors that you can see here. He hoped that the prosecutor's office would realize it, that, you know, that they didn't, he had done nothing illegal. I mean, as he put it in, as, as press release, you know, in his, in his, the very few press releases and work that he did around this, he, he likened it to arresting, charging somebody for borrowing too many books from the library, um, which, you know, all, all of the articles uh, he had the right to access individually. The only, the only confusion here was that he had just accessed a lot of them. Um, and he hoped the prosecutors would see the injustice and the, the unfairness of what they were doing, and, and they, but they weren't interested in that. They weren't Steve Hyman and, um, and and Carmen Ortiz's office were interested in winning. They were interested in a notch on their belt. They were interested in taking a scalp, but they weren't interested in justice. They weren't interested in does it actually make sense for this young man to be labeled a felon for the rest of his life. And that's a key problem at the root of this injustice. Prosecutors more interested in winning and career advancement than their ethical duty to pursue justice, and that's not a problem limited to this case, which was why it was so important Aaron Schwartz's family referred to a criminal justice system rife with intimidation and prosecutorial overreach, because after all, Aaron Schwartz was a fairly privileged white guy, and there are many underprivileged non-white people victimized by this system rife with intimidation and prosecutorial overreach every day which is why I was glad to see Aaron Schwartz's partner in that Democracy Now! interview also said this. The, the third issue is, is the broader problems in our criminal justice system. Why does someone like Steve Hyman have the power to do this, unbridled power? Um, why would you charge somebody with up to 35 years in prison if you actually think that, that all they deserve is six months? as the plea deal suggested that, and this happens to people every day in our system, and most of them have many fewer resources than Aaron, um, and, and much less support, and don't have the option necessarily even of considering hiring a lawyer and going to trial over the course of two years, and, and are forced to take the plea deals when they're not guilty or when the plea deals are completely unjust. Um, and I think that we need, we need broad criminal justice reform in this country. Um, we incarcerate more people uh, per capita than any other country in the world, and we don't see lower crime rates because of it. There's 
there's justice and then there's justice and and right now we're not our system does not promote justice our system is punitive our system is kafkaesque our system is unfair and Aaron and and millions of other people suffer because of it that's such an important point and i wish i'd seen someone make it on one of the cable news shows as someone who was a public defender representing poor people charged with crimes for about five years in two different states, I can testify to the truth about the criminal justice system rife with intimidation and prosecutorial overreach because I actually saw many prosecutors more interested in winning and career advancement than their ethical duty to pursue justice, and I also experienced the criminal justice system's need for basic structural reforms like the ones I discussed in my video, 13 years in prison for $146 forgery is justice? These basic problems with the criminal justice system should have been the most important issue raised by Aaron Schwartz's suicide, and the issue most discussed, not relegated to non-corporate alternative media, I think, but I want to know what you think. Should journalists, even cable news journalists, have spent more time reporting on the criminal justice system rife with intimidation and prosecution? Okay. That was a documentary about the treatment of the death of Aaron Schwartz <clears throat> and the issues, the deeper issues that his uh, whole case uh, brings up. Uh, get a look at, on YouTube, get a look at uh, Aaron Schwartz, the Internet's own boy. Nice documentary. There are a couple of others, too, but I can't really uh, talk about them because I haven't seen them, but... Uh, look up the whole history of uh, Aaron Schwartz. Okay, hopefully you had a nice Thanksgiving or a nice Thanksgiving, as uh, the Native Amer many in the Native America population would call it. Thanksgiving Day went uh, into a very nice uh, treatment of Thanksgiving Day. We'll talk a little bit more about it because there's a whole religious aspect to Thanksgiving. Okay, here's Decoded with Francesca Ramsey. Coming right up. thankful for my kindergarten class who made these wonderful crafts to celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> After the Native Americans helped the pilgrims survive their first winter in America, the Puritans invited them to share the first Thanksgiving. Oh, these are adorably strong. A five-year-old made that based off of the lies that you taught them. Excuse me? Oh, it's not your fault. These are full of half-truths and historical propaganda. I thought the Native Americans and the Pilgrims were like besties or whatever. At best, the Pilgrims and Wampanoags could be described as political allies. By the time the Pilgrims showed up, not only were two-thirds of the Massachusetts tribes completely wiped out by European slave owners and diseases, the Pilgrims were constantly at war with the indigenous people and routinely tortured them. But what about Santo, the Native American who learned English to help out the Pilgrims? He was actually a slave that was hauled off to Europe 
And then he learned English so that he could escape. But they did celebrate it every year, right? Not exactly. The next one was 16 years later. And unfortunately, it was because the Puritans were celebrating the massacre of the Pequot tribe. Back then, Thanksgiving was also for families. Specifically, murdering them. Okay, we get it. History is awful. The Puritans were terrible. And now we have to let our children know that the holiday started with tons of killings. Well, we actually have just about everything wrong with the Thanksgiving mess. Definitely didn't wear these buckle hats. Didn't land on Plymouth Rock. And as for that turkey, more like venison, fowl, and eel. Oh, who cares about how this stupid holiday got started anyway? Exactly. In George Washington's 1789 Thanksgiving proclamation, the settlers aren't mentioned not even once. Thanksgiving wasn't celebrated nationwide until 1863 when this guy declared it a national holiday during the Civil War in order to bring the country together. That's why all of our foods are from the 19th century. So Lincoln came up with the whole Indian pilgrim story. Nope. That myth didn't catch on until the 1900s after we had fought and killed all the Native Americans. And then we put it in textbooks as fact. Because America. And showed him and said, you know, this is really just an extraordinary place. But we all were curious The food is really good. And if you know all the terrible history, like the murdering, the raping, the pillaging, still don't have a great house. So the Mayflower is a lot. We eat cranberry sauce. What about stuffing? Is Black Friday really just a capitalist conspiracy to get poor people to buy things so we can't truly live out a populist world? I'm never telling you the truth ever again. When he was about two or three years old. One historical narrative says that the pilgrims were off just firing their guns when the Wampanoag tribe just showed up, presumably to find out why the white folks were shooting up the place, which is a question we that we computers. still ask. Uh, okay, that was uh, Francesca Ramsey um, on MTV News, a show called Decoded. Everything you know about Thanksgiving is wrong. The real crucial thing about Thanksgiving also, besides the things that she mentioned, are the fact that it's, uh, there's a whole religious tone to it. The pilgrims were giving thanks for, supposedly giving thanks for God's help in, uh, in um, providing for them. Uh, when it was the natives, of course, who provided for them. And the things the pilgrims were giving thanks for were the epidemic that preceded them, the epidemic supposedly caused by uh, bodies of sailors thrown over, say a sailor with smallpox on a ship. They wouldn't leave them there. They would throw them over. And these bodies floated up on to the eastern coast of the United States and that's what started the uh, great epidemics but the whole life about Thanksgiving is that God was blessing the white European male adventure God was blessing the ripoff of the land and resources of the Americas, God was giving permission for this. In a sense, God was giving permission to 
take the land and kill the Indians because that's what it came to. Uh, of course. Okay, let's see. I wanted to find uh, five depressing signs. America just isn't the country it used to be. Well, that's kind of a silly headline. But let's see what they're talking about. A House of Representatives bill pushed by wealthy conservatives would view corporate crimes as honest mistakes. One must wonder then what extremes of evil in the minds of conservatives led to criminal charges against people apparently aware of their action. The Ohio woman who took coins from a fountain to buy food. The California man who broke into a church kitchen to find something to eat. And the 90-year-old Florida activist who boldly tried to feed the homeless. That's number one. Crimes as honest mistakes. Two, unpaid taxes of 500 companies could pay for a job for every unemployed American. Three, almost two-thirds of American families couldn't afford a single pill of a life-saving drug. 62% of polled Americans said they couldn't cover a $500 repair bill. So, of course, they can't afford a $750 hepatitis pill from Martin Shkreli's company. Four, violent crime down, prison population doubles. White-collar prosecutions have been reduced by over a third. And as we saw, corporate leaders are steadily working toward 100% tolerance for their crimes. One in four Americans suffer mental illness. These are the signs. Okay. It's uh, getting on to that 12 o'clock time. And uh, flat black plastic coming right up after labor and love. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. Second, if you don't have a seat at the negotiating table, you're probably on the menu. And third, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Call-outs to all. Sylvia, Vita, Sunni, the whole group. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you had a good time. And I hope you took a good, uh, hard look at what the, the holiday is really celebrating within the American uh, mythology. Okay, here's the Internacional. Have a good day.
Thanks. Ed, can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Join us every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. for Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse here on Mutiny Radio. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin, bringing you the best of San Francisco's underground comedy scene here every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. It's only $2. You can bring your own beer and listen to comedy here every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m., 21st in Florida. It's mutinyradio.fm. The House of Pride radio show, LGBT radio for everyone. Funky interviews, funky beats, talking drag queens, and much, much more. It's LGBT radio for everyone. Listen live every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride Radio, LGBT radio for everyone. Celebrating the considerable contributions of the LGBT community in San Francisco and beyond. Every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Listen here for hot new local beats by LGBT artists and listen to live interviews. Tune in, turn on every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride Radio with drag queen personalities, Tweeka Turner and Pearl T. Are you sick of reading the news? Do you even bother to read the news anymore? Do you need someone to read it to you because it's just so disgusting and depressing? If so, then the Weekly Review is the show for you. Join Roman Reimer as Roman reads the news, whether it be LGBTQ issues, cannabis legalization, prison abolition, police brutality, or many other issues that sometimes the media just doesn't feel the need to cover. Listen in, Fridays at noon, Mutiny Radio. Roman's also joined by activists, community organizers, artists, and many other great folks working to make the world a better place. Have no fear. The news is here. And if you feel like yelling about it, well then Roman will be yelling with you. The Weekly Review, Fridays at noon, on Mutiny Radio. Hello, comrades. This is your comrade, Zach Wiseman, host of government-sponsored program, Communist Folding Chairs, mandated by the Kremlin to occur every Monday, 2 to 4 p.m. 
broadcast by our comrades at mutinyradio.fm. Sit, relax, listen to my comrades in stand-up comedy march honorably through their cold, balanced sets, and other comrades make fun of them. Because in Mother Russia, if you can't laugh about starving for turnip and beet and attention, you are a capitalist pig, and the KB- KGB will visit you shortly. Every Monday, 2 to 4 p.m. Looking to invest in the future of your community? MutinyRadio.fm and the Boys and Girls Club Mission Clubhouse needs your help. Please donate to keep the Radio Clash Children's Institute right now alive on the air every Thursday from 4.50 to 5.50 p.m. Donations are tax deductible. Donate online at www.mutinyradio.fm or just stop by the station at 21st Street and Florida. That's 2781 21st Street and throw some cash in the big glass jar. Stop by to experience live audience friendly shows every day of the week and know that you're supporting the future of the mission by keeping free speech alive for all ages. This PSA is brought to you by your friends and community partners at muniradio.fm. Hi, I'm Chuck Weiss. If you're an old baby boomer like me, pain is probably something you've learned to live with by now. Yes, there are drugs on the market that help, but they come with side effects and shouldn't be used for extended periods of time. But fortunately, there is an effective natural pain reliever available in this state, medical cannabis. Let me tell you about Alta California Botanicals. They're a manufacturer of fine cannabis tinctures. Now you can take your medication in liquid form, much more discreet than pulling out a pipe and lighting up. Alta California Botanicals offers five different formulations, each one addressing a specific medical concern. There are two that are designed for pain, one to be swallowed of course, and a new one for external use only. I'm going to have to try that one myself on my arthritic fingers. There's a tincture for stress and one for anxiety. They'll certainly keep you mellow. And there's even one for people who suffer from MS. The cannabis tinctures from Alta California Botanicals come in one half ounce bottles. Each batch is laboratory tested and certified free of pesticides and mold. In other words, completely natural and unadulterated. Alta California Botanicals doesn't sell directly to the public, of course, but if you visit their website at Alta, A-L-T-A, CaliforniaBotanicals.com and enter your zip code, they'll give you a list of dispensaries near you that keep their tinctures in stock. Now here's a tip for the holiday season. Keep a couple of extra bottles of the stress formula handy. It'll help maintain your cool amongst all that shopping madness. I'm Chuck Weiss for AltaCaliforniaBotanicals.com. of San Francisco began its business management training program for low-income, high-potential women in 1988. To attend a free orientation on how you can achieve your dream of starting your own business, or for more information, please contact 415-641-3460 or visit womensinitiative.org. 
This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Planned Parenthood is a trusted healthcare provider, an informed educator, a passionate advocate, and a global partner helping similar... Hey, people. People. This is Flat Black Plastic. Coming to you directly live from the sunny Mission District on mutinyradio.fm. <laughs> 